Blog Talk Radio. What we need is some sort of revolution. Pain and greed, there's gotta be retribution. Do we all just run and hide? Hello and welcome to another episode of the Stain Sports Podcast. This is episode number 12. We are taking a break from our fantasy baseball uh, podcast series, and we're going to go ahead and take a look at what's already been a crazy week in sports. Uh, We just finished up the NHL trade deadline. Kurt Schilling had possibly the greatest uh, reaction to things on Twitter, and there was actually a trade in the NFL with Sean McCoy being moved, and tonight uh, Russell Westbrook became the first person since Michael Jordan to have four consecutive triple-doubles. I'm joined, as always, by Torsten Sporn. Torsten, what is going on tonight, and what a week it is, and it's already Wednesday, and I didn't even mention spring training is open, and there's baseball games on TV. <laughs> well, that uh, I was staring at a Facebook post today, and it had the hashtag of uh, ITFDB or whatever. It's time for Dodger baseball, and I just kept hearing Vince Scully's head going, uh, voice going through my head. Over and over again, and then uh, you know, I, I realized that I should probably get back to work. But yeah, that was that. Uh, that, as it turns out, this week is not the biggest news item. Absolutely not. There are plenty of others. Um, I know you said you've got a lot of notes going on with the the initial trade deadline. I certainly have a few thoughts on, on some things that went down. But I'll certainly let you start. You want to go with uh, winners, losers? Who do you think won this trade deadline? Well, for me, one of the biggest winners is, uh, and it pains me to say it as a Kings fan, but it's the other Southern California team, uh, the Anaheim Ducks. Um, they managed to get James Wisniewski from Columbus, and uh, it didn't cost them a ton. And uh, he basically brings you everything that you need in a second-pairing defenseman. Like, I don't think that on a playoff team he's a, he's a top-pairing guy. But he's tough. He can move the puck. He's got a good shot. He can be on the power play. Uh, he's not afraid to fight from time to time. And, uh, you know, the, the $5.5 million cap hit that he brings is uh, a little bit prohibitive. But if you have the room to do it, uh, then do it. And all it cost him was uh, essentially a draft pick. And, uh, you know, they also managed in a, in a slightly less high-profile move, they managed to get rugged winger Tommy Fleischman away from Florida. And uh, as another guy who adds a little bit of grit, a little bit of teeth, but he's clever enough around the net to score double-digit goals every season. And, uh, you know, the Ducks, who already are one of the best teams in the entire, hockey, in the entire National Hockey League, got better at, you know, both in defense and on the front line. And, you know, they, they did make, in my opinion, a couple of questionable moves. Uh, they traded away Ben Lovejoy, which I don't quite understand. I think that he was a real solid piece of their defense. And they uh, they got Yuri Sikach from Montreal. And I, while I don't have a problem with that acquisition, they traded Devontae Smith-Pelly to get him. And that guy, whenever I would watch Kings-Ducks games, he was one of the guys that terrified me the most, you know, with his energy and his forechecking and his speed. But uh, all in all, the Ducks went from one of the best teams in the National Hockey League and got better. What about you? Who won this trade deadline for you? Yeah, you know, I, I agree with you with what you're saying about the Ducks, uh, and I do, you know, 
Lovejoy going away for Simon uh, Dupuis, to me, is a little bit of a wash there. They also brought in Holzer to, to change up that, that third line of defense thing completely. Um, they got a whole lot better right there at the blue line. To me, the team that, that, that won is a team that is actually local to where I am right now, and it's the Arizona Coyotes. And they got worse on the ice today, but they got better in the long term. Um, I got a chance to go out and see them when they did their red-white scrimmage. I'm telling you, there is a ton of talent that they have still in the minors, uh, young guys on their team right now. And they went out and they brought in guys like Anthony Duclair, who I believe is going to be an absolute star uh, for them. I really like what he can do uh, coming over for the Rangers. Yes, when you first look at him, you see Antoine Vermette and Keith Yando going away you kind of say, you know, how could that be the winner? But you bring in a guy like Duclair. Uh, you bring in, you know, a two first-round picks and a second-round pick. They now have two first-round picks this year and the two second-round picks, and then two first-round picks again in 2016, adding even more young talent to their uh, to their roster. They, uh, you know, uh, they bring in uh, Dahlbeck from the Blackhawks, uh, who is going to be – a quality defenseman, and you know they're just—they got young, and but they got a ton of talent. They stockpiled the draft picks. They were a team that needed to rebuild. They said, "Okay, it's you know we admit it, we need to rebuild." And they went out there and they and they did it by bringing in guys that could be real difference makers. It's in the not too distant future not to mention bringing in a ton of draft picks. Uh, they're going to be really interesting, and I can't wait for the red-white scrimmage uh, um, again next year, and I will actually most likely see them uh, actually against the Ducks here the last game of the season. Uh, um, there is a good chance I have credentials for that game, so I'll be covering that for the same sports. But, um, you know, I really like what the Coyotes did. I think they're bringing in a lot of really young, talented guys uh, and that is something that is good to see. I agree with you 100%. I had the Coyotes real high up on my list of winners from the trade deadline. Now, the the big thing to mention here, uh, they managed to get the multiple first-rounders, the second-rounder, the prospects in Duclair and Dahlbeck. Um, in flipping Keith Yandel and Antoine Vermette, both of those guys were scheduled for unrestricted free agency. So, you know, you can risk, you know, you risk alienating your fan base when you trade away two guys that are, you know, well, Yandel's the face of the franchise. He's, uh, you know, Shane Doan is, is at the end of his days in the NHL. Yandel's a guy from, that, from the defenseman spot who's leading the team in scoring. Not a guy that you want to lose, but the bottom line is the Coyotes were not going to be able to re-sign him. They weren't going to re-sign Vermette, and they loaded up. And I'm, I'll, I'll be the first person to admit, I'm not a college hockey or juniors hockey aficionado, but everything that I've read about the upcoming NHL draft is that it's loaded. So if you've got two picks in the first round and two picks in the second round in this upcoming draft, you have a chance to stockpile some real, real difference-making talent. So, again, I agree with you. Uh, even though you have to lose Yandel and Vermette, the Coyotes really did themselves a huge favor for the future. Now, anytime there's winners, there's losers. Who, if anybody, do you have that really botched the trade deadline? Uh, to me, it's easy. And it's also always fun to 
call out a New York team. And it's the New York Rangers. And it's in large part to, to that trade that they made with the Coyotes. Um, yes, they bring in Keith Yandel, but potentially only for the year. They lose a Duclair, who, like I said, I think he's going to be um, a phenomenal player in time. Uh, you know, they go, they, they went all in with the Yandel and hoping that he makes a, a real change for that for the defenseman. The problem is, is the, the Rangers already ranked third in goals per game from the from the defenseman. They don't need another offensive defenseman. They, if any, they need a new defenseman. They needed a defense first defenseman. They don't need more offense from the, from uh, the back end. And Yandel's a guy that that finds himself up the ice a lot. Um, he does, he's not the guy. He's not the fit that the Rangers needed. They lose a fantastic uh, younger youngster in Duclair, and by giving up the first round pick, um, they already don't have a uh, first round pick in 2016. They didn't have one in 2013. They didn't have one in 2014. Um, the Washington Redskins of, of the NHL they refuse to accept any first round picks. They're going to go four years without one, and at a certain point, you you know you have to restock uh, systems, and you can't act like the the you know it, it's caught to the Yankees, it's caught to the Redskins. If you just go out for free agents and and trades, and you don't do anything as far as the system, you don't bring any of the young guys, you don't don't have those first round picks. It's gonna bite you. And I think if unless the Rangers win the Stanley Cup this year, I think they they lose. They've lost this trade deadline, and they've lost it big. I can't disagree with you 100%. I can't. I also can't agree with you 100%. I wasn't sure where to put the Rangers. And just as a note, I pretty much ranked, like, I wouldn't say I ranked them, but I evaluated about 25 different teams. And no, I didn't get a lot done at my day job today. No. And for those of you listening from my day job, just kidding. But um, I think that if you're going to get something, you have to give something. It's generally, like you said, not good practice to keep shipping off first-round picks, especially from a loaded draft. But if you're going to get a guy like Keith Yandel, who as far as the available defensemen go, is far and away the clear number one guy, I mean, they probably got the best guy available. You know, he's uh, Tyler Myers went to Winnipeg from Buffalo, but he never quite lived up to the standard he set for himself as a rookie a few years back. Yandel has been essentially as close to a superstar as Arizona has had. Um, you know, it, it's the trade makes sense to me. Um, the declare, well, again, you got to, you got to, you got to give up something to get something. I mean, they gave up a King's ransom, but who they got, I think justifies it for me. The teams, uh, I'm going to, I got three teams here that are, or I should say two teams that are clear losers in the draft. And they're the Dallas stars and the Colorado avalanche. And it's not that they did something wrong. It's that they didn't do anything, really. I mean, Dallas, if you look at their, their top line, they have Tyler Seguin, even though he's injured right now. But to go along with Jason Spezza, Jamie Benn, that is like an all-world lineup right there. And then they have a bunch of guys that are mediocre at best. They do have some veteran pieces that they could have dealt off, gotten some draft picks, some young talent, with the eventual long-term goal of creating depth. You can't have just one great line in hockey and expect to win, especially in the Western Conference, and it's evidenced by their place in the standings. You know, they're not really in contention for the playoffs, so why bother keeping guys like Alex Goligoski, who's a pretty good offensive defenseman, you would have gotten a nice return, 
Alice Hemsky is a good depth forward to provide secondary scoring. You know, Kari Lettinen's a halfway decent goaltender if he could ever stay healthy, but he'd be a great backup for somebody down the stretch run. Sean Horkoff is another veteran guy that they could have dealt off for some pieces for the future, and they didn't do it. And, you know, neither did the Avalanche. They're sitting on Jerome Laginla, who's still a good player, as evidenced by his 19 goals this season. Alex Tangay has 16 goals, but he's also in his mid-late 30s. You know, eventually they're going to get rid of Ryan O'Reilly because he doesn't want to be there. You know, why hang on to these guys? You know, I understand, I guess, keeping a Ginla because they want to assist with the development of Nathan McKinnon, who is a future superstar. But you're not going to make the playoffs. There is no sense on holding on to these 35-, 36-year-old guys that still have something left in the tank for a contender to sit there on a team that's not going to make the playoffs. And I'm going to have just one quick homer moment here. I had absolutely no idea that Keith Yandel was available. And if the Kings had an idea that he was available, there was no reason for them to go out and get Andre Sakara from Carolina. He's a good player, but he's not a good roster decision. You didn't need, you know, a smallish puck-moving defenseman. You know, I understand the uh, motivation to replace Slava Voinov, who, as anybody who's a hockey fan knows, is on an indefinite suspension for allegations of spousal abuse. But, you know, it's, I, I don't like this as a roster decision. The real key mistake that the Kings made leading up to this season was letting Willie Mitchell depart in free agency to Florida and instead re-upping with Matt Green for four years. They're essentially the same guy, but the difference is that Willie Mitchell shoots left-handed, and they have enough of those guys, and so they figured they'll let him go. He was the difference. If you look at when they won the Stanley Cup in 2012, he played every game. He missed 2013 with a knee injury, and they ended up getting eliminated by Chicago in the conference finals. And then last year when he was healthy again, they won the Stanley Cup. Nothing is ever that simple, but you know, to underestimate his role in that would be a criminal mistake. So instead of getting a guy that fits that mold, kind of a, you know, a bigger guy, a tough guy, enough talent to play on the power play but generally responsible on defense, you know, they got Andre Sequeira. I don't mind him as a player, but it's not a good roster decision. So I'm going to get off the soapbox now uh, because it's probably not a good idea to criticize a team that's won two Stanley Cups in three years and, you know, keep any sort of credibility. But there you have it. Those are my losers from the uh, NHL trade deadline. Yeah, and, you know, the one thing you said about the Avalanche was uh, they had some older guys that they could have moved, um, and really their problem was that they didn't make enough moves. And they did make one move. I liked the move for them. They they shipped uh, Max Taub and Paul Carey out to the Bruins and brought in Jordan Caron. I like uh, Caron or Caron, however you say his name. Uh, I do like what he brings. Um, if they, the Avalanche could have done – made, you know, two or three more moves like that, I think they could have, where they bring in talented NHL, young, talented young NHL guys, uh, they could have been a team that, uh, you know, flirts with the back, uh, you know, 7th, 8th uh, slot in the playoffs next year and, had, you know, with the Landis Scottis, the Duchesne, and then the McKinnons, they would only be getting, you know, that much like more experience, not much better moving forward, and they can be a really scary team, uh, you know, in the ne- in the coming years. But they just didn't pull the trigger on some of those, you know, older uh, face of the franchise type guys. Another team that I just don't know what the heck they were doing by the fact that they didn't do anything was the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, they made one move. The, their big move was essentially a lateral move in Lovejoy for Dupuis 
but they didn't bring in anything else to help with their offense. Um, you know, so everything's still, on, you know, they Crosby and Malkin, they're not getting any younger. They've only got a couple of years left of being, you know, a couple of the better players in the NHL. And if they're ever going to win a Stanley Cup together, they, they've got to do it now. And they just, they never pulled the trigger on it. And they didn't again this year. I kind of, you know, I agree with that. And uh, it wasn't uh, Pascal Dupuis. It was uh, Simone de Pere, right, that they traded for love. Oh, I'm sorry, just, yeah. Uh, just before we cause any panic with uh, our one potential listener who might be a Penguins fan. But, uh, yeah, I agree. And, you know, they, they have a similar sort of situation as Dallas with a, with a killer top line and then some questionable depth. I mean, I still think that they're good enough to uh, compete in the Eastern Conference. But, you know, they uh, – there were some guys out there that they probably could have gotten. I think that they may have been able to go after some veteran guys and make a run this year. I mean, it's going to be real tough to get past uh, the Islanders and the Rangers in the Eastern Conference this year. And uh, even the the Red Wings are looking good, and it pains me to say it because I don't like them either. But, you know, they uh, – that Pittsburgh seems to have a ha, – have make the mistake of thinking they have – Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, and that's okay. It's like, oh, we got two of the top ten players in the NHL. We're good, and I just don't think that's the case. I think that uh, I didn't identify them as a loser, but I can see why you did. All right, now let's move on from the NHL. Uh, let's take a look quickly at the NFL. Uh, one of the rare big-name player for big-name player trades came this week. Uh, if we want to call Kiko Alonso a big-name I really like him as a, uh, uh, a middle linebacker. Um, Matt Williams of NFL pointed out that it was a Pitt guy as the GM for the Bills traded for a former Pitt running back in the Sean McCoy while sending a former Oregon linebacker to the former Oregon coach, uh, Chip Kelly, over with the Eagles. Um, you know, Chip Kelly certainly bringing in as many former Ducks as he can. I, I don't know about you, but I was left, one, shocked at a, a move like this, seeing LaShawn McCoy being moved, but two, still waiting for the other shooter to go. I, I'm, I cannot make a decision on whether I like or dislike this trade because there's something else out there. There's something else that's going to happen. I just don't know what it is. Do you have a feel for it? Do you have a take on, on the trade as it currently stands or, you know, is, do you, are you like like me? There's something else out there. We're just there's something else to come, and that's the to follow this trade to make this trade make more sense. Where do you stand? Uh, I'm definitely uh, I'm well. I'm both. I, I have a take, and I'm with you. I think that the I think that as you put it, the other shoe is going to drop. Here's the deal: McCoy's owed something like 24 million over the next two years, and you know, it, it, on the surface, it looks like a salary cap thing or, you know, uh, trying to create some roster flexibility. When I first heard about this trade, I thought, you know, there might be the potential for, you know, maybe he did something or said something to somebody, alienated himself from, you know, the GM or the coach or his teammates. And I came across a pretty well thought out analysis from a guy named Frank Schwab. Uh, He wrote it on Yahoo Sports. And he very accurately pointed out that running backs, Elite running backs are just not making twelve, thirteen, fourteen million a year anymore. There's guys who signed these contracts like McCoy and Adrian Peterson, guys at that level who are making the money. But you know, you're not going to see Demarco Murray get that kind of money in free agency, and he was the best back in football last season. 
you know, up there with Marshawn Lynch, who's also not making anywhere near that type of money. I think it's just a matter of the Eagles feeling that they can get maybe not similar production to what McCoy offers, but good enough production at about 15% of the cost with Chris Polk. And then maybe they can draft a rookie to join him. And then there's Darren Sproles, obviously, who's one of the best receiving backs out of the backfield. You know, in that offense in Philadelphia, maybe you don't need a guy like like LaShawn McCoy. And I'll tell you what, you do need a guy like Kiko Alonso, a guy that can make a ton of plays from the middle linebacker position. And, you know, there's obviously going to be some concern as he just came off of an ACL injury. But, uh, you know, I and I can't remember where I read this, but it was an accurate statement, too, that knee injuries just don't seem to be as serious as they used to be. Advances in surgical technology have kind of created faster recovery times. And any time there's a player who's, quote-unquote, rehabbing from a knee injury, all you see on Twitter or on the team websites is that the recovery is, quote-unquote, ahead of schedule. So I think, you know, at first I was shocked, but I think after having read some of the analysis from, you know, among others, Frank Schwab and Yahoo, that, you know, it makes sense for Philadelphia to make this trade. And if I had to guess now at what the other shoe was going to be to drop, I think that they're going to make a run at, you know, one of the free agent wide receivers. And these guys are going to, you know, cost you in the neighborhood of six to nine million a year. Maybe a guy like, you know, Tim Crabtree, or, you know, obviously since uh, the Cowboys franchise does, he's not going to be available. But there is some talent out there. You know, Jeremy Macklin is going to have to be re-signed. So if, in that high-powered offense, they're going to need receivers. And I think maybe that's where some of those cost savings are going to go. Yeah, um, Macklin is going to be one of those guys that is definitely going to benefit from the move. Um, you know, I, I kind of I, I like I told you uh, via text when when uh, this went down is I had heard that the McCoy was going to be moved. I just expected it more to be come draft day, and so that Ch- uh, Chip Kelly could go get Marcus Mariota. I didn't see it being for uh, one of his former linebackers. Um, now, with that, let's talk. Uh, we've got a little over five minutes to, to talk about um, Kurt Schilling and, and his attack on uh, basically his response to the attacks of cyber bullies, so to speak, on Twitter. When late last week, Kurt Schilling sent out a congratulations to his, his daughter, Gabby, uh, over Twitter. Uh, when she was accepted to play softball uh, uh, in college, simply saying congrats to Gabby Schilling, who will pitch for the South Virginia Seahawks next year, at uh, which point in time he got the you know customary uh, congratulations, the customary, yeah, Kurt Schilling, you suck, and the completely unnecessary barrage of people who, for lack of a better word, essentially threatened to rape and hurt his daughter. And he came back with a 1,700-word uh, blog, ripping into them, letting, essentially stating that anonymity is not what you thought it was. He, he uh, saved the tweets of those people who were saying the horrible and downright threatening and, and criminal things uh, to him about his daughter, and he had people, he reported these people to their employers, to their schools. Uh, People were kicked out of school. People were suspended from school. People were fired. A Yankees employee uh, was apparently 
uh, among those saying uh, very hurtful things towards Kurt Schilling and Kurt Schilling's daughter. Um, and the Yankees employed, the Yankees fired that employee. Um, you know, there's, in America we have a freedom of speech. We do not have freedom from repercussions. And a lot of people get on Twitter and think they have freedom from repercussions because it's an anonymous place where you can go ahead and throw out insults and things in 140 characters, and that's the end of it. And I applaud Kurt Schilling for standing up for his daughter. Uh, I am going to become a father here in a, in a few months, and I couldn't even imagine how I would respond if I were to see anything like that said about uh, my son-to-be um, you know, Kurt Schilling showed these people that, you know, just because you're on Twitter, you're not anonymous, you're not faceless, you don't you don't have the freedom to say whatever the hell you want without repercussion. And, and I hope that this helps people realize that, you know, you can't be a jackass on, on Twitter and on Facebook and things like this without there being a repercussion, you know. Um, I hope that this turn leads into the future the, you know, people like, um, who was it, uh, the Rogers of Green Bay, the, the tight end, who had went up on the, for the onside kick and, and ended up Brandon Bostic. the Packers big game. That's Brandon Bostic, sorry, yes. Uh, Bostic, you know, and he ended up receiving death threats. I hope that the people that end up sending send out death threats like that, I hope that they end up losing their job, uh, you know, and, and having potential criminal uh, action taken against them, uh, you know, in court. Um, just because you're on Twitter does not mean you get to flex your Twitter muscle without repercussion. Kurt Schilling uh, went out and showed that, and I applaud him, and I hope that these things are taken more seriously and the cyberbullying, the cyber threats um, start to be taken like real bullying and real threats in, in face-to-face life. And, and um, the only way we can really cut down on it is to step up and cut and and take it and cut it, cut down on it by the authorities doing what they need to do. And if that means people like Kurt Schilling reporting it to authorities, reporting it to administrators reporting it to employers to make the first example, then uh, well done. It's, it's about time that, that something is done about uh, these jackasses out there who think that they can do and say whatever they want online without having anything come back to them. I agree with you 100%. And uh, I'm, you know, Kurt Schilling's not known for saying too many smart things, but I think he handled this one extraordinarily well. And first off, uh, from my opinion, kudos to the Yankees. They fired that clown that was working for them that was, you know, involved in this whole thing and made a very brief statement that said, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, we have absolutely zero tolerance for this crap, as they should. Nobody should have any tolerance for it. But this only gets attention because it's Chilling, who's a high-profile guy. This kind of crap goes on all the time. And, you know, teenagers are cyberbullied and end up committing suicide. Over, I almost said a naughty word over crap like this. And it's, you know, I got angry and a little bit emotional when I read this, and it's, uh, it just purely disgusted me. And I'm really, really glad that those clowns who used that horrible, awful language referencing Gabby Schilling had their tweets immortalized in screenshots. Because one of the things that Schilling said 
was that idiot who tries to pass himself off as a DJ or whatever. Any girl that he ever tries to go out on a date with that ends up Googling him, that's going to be result number one. All that unsavory, disgusting garbage that he said about Gabby Schilling is going to be right there. So hopefully, you know, I don't, I think people should have a chance to atone for their mistakes, but this guy just doesn't strike me as a dude who'd be interested in that. So, you know, if he dies sad and alone sometime in the future, well, you know what? You made that bed, son, so go ahead and sleep in it. And really, I'm starting to feel myself getting angry and emotional again, so I'm going to cut it off there. But 100% squarely in Schilling's corner. I'm really proud of the way he handled that, and God willing, I could handle it the same way if it was my daughter. Yeah, absolutely. And he did many radio interviews about it, and every and everyone I heard, um, he spoke really well uh, of the situation, the way he went about it. And like you said, this is only getting attention because it is Kurt Schilling. Um, and you know what? It, I, I feel bad for everything that Gabby Schilling had to go through with this, but I, I do hope that through this, um, the non-famous, uh, you know, the daughters of people that aren't famous. Uh, the sons of uh, people that aren't famous, uh, the random people getting uh, bullied through there who aren't famous. I hope that they end up, you know, something gets done so that, so that attention can be brought to their uh, their issues as well. So it's not just the, you know, the, the Gabby Schillings that get stood up for and, and people get fired uh, you know, for, for saying horrible things about them. Um, hopefully this is the first step and it really becoming something that changes um, as a whole and not just because of somebody's clout in uh, the sports landscape. And if that comes out of this, then fantastic. Yeah, amen. That is, it's, cyberbullying is a real, real threat. And kudos again to Kurt Schilling for shedding a bright spotlight on it. And uh, this is something that absolutely has to be stopped. And immortalizing mean and terrorizing tweets, criminal in nature, uh, that's you know that might be a good first step. It might be the deterrent that finally you know puts some shackles on this garbage. Absolutely. With that, we'll close up. We still will have some more fun on the next episode coming up this weekend as we get back to fantasy baseball. Thanks again for listening. Thanks everybody.